So there's this galaxy called the Andromeda Galaxy, and it's a galaxy that uh, on a clear night where there's no moon and no clouds, you can actually see it with your naked eye. The incredible thing about this galaxy is that it's 2.5 million light years away, and you can see it with your eye. I think that's fascinating. The galaxy itself is 220 light years in its, in its own diameter. It's absolutely massive, and that's why we can see it with our naked eye. Now, for a galaxy to be that far away, 2.5 million light years away, we have to understand how, how far away that is. One light year is about 6 trillion miles. So if you take 2.5 million and you times it by 6 trillion, you get some obscene number. <laughs> and it's too, it's, too, it's too big for the human mind to understand. And that's just a galaxy that we can see with the naked eye. There are galaxies in our universe that are literally billions of light years away. The universe is massive. Does anybody else ever think about the universe? I do. I think about it sometimes and the size of it. And what we've been saying in this series is that the universe is unsearchable. There's parts of it that we can know, but most of it, most of it will never be searched out. Now, that doesn't mean we can't know anything about it. We can know certain things about it. And what we said in this series is that in the same way that the universe is unsearchable, God is unsearchable. If the creation is unsearchable, what does that say about the creator? And even though we can't know everything there is to know about God, we can know certain things about him. And those things are absolutely beautiful and ought to draw us in and cause us to fall more and more in love with Jesus and follow him and become his disciple. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, to me, this grace was given or this privilege was given to preach or to proclaim or to tell the Gentiles of the, say it with me, the unsearchable, a little bit louder, that was kind of, we're still sleeping, ready? The what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. We can't know everything there is to know about God, but we can know a few things. And what this series has been about is, hey, what can we know about Christ? In the week one, we talked about how Jesus brings knowledge of reality and what is real. And what is real is the kingdom of God. And the, what, if, what are some of the things that are found in the kingdom of God? Power and peace and joy and love. And if you missed that talk, man, I hope you'd go back and watch it on our podcast. And then week two, we talked about, you know, knowledge of who is well off, like who can live the good life. And we, we, we discovered this idea that no human condition excludes the blessings or the blessedness of God. And then last week, we talked about this idea, and these are all riches of the kingdom, this idea of who is a good person. What we discovered is that the good person is the disciple of Jesus, because the disciple of Jesus is the person who loves, and the person who loves always does what is best for another person. And so we challenged you last week to, to become that disciple. And, and so I want to talk one more time and kind of wrap this series up, one last, uh, one last talk about, about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that is, I want to look at the idea of how to actually become that good person. Last week we, we discovered what it was to be a good person. How do we become that good person? I don't know about you, but when, when I try to be really good, that's when I discover how off I really am. Have you ever noticed that? In fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, no one knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good. <laughs> I, that tickles me because I found it to be true. You know, in your notes there, what I've discovered is that we're not very good at loving well. We're not very good. We do not love very well. If a good person is someone who always does what is best 
for another person, it doesn't take long to discover that we're not very good at that. And when we t- in fact, when we take an inventory of how we treat other people, at least this is what I discover, and oftentimes I simply treat people according to what I think they deserve. Anybody else? <laughs> like if they deserve kindness, then I'll give it to them. If they deserve forgiveness, then I'll give it to them. If they deserve, you know, the, you know a little bit of, you know, I don't know, favor, I'll give it to them. If they've worked hard or whatever. I'm, I'm the judge, right? I judge and who gets good behavior, you know. That's not loving very well. But if you don't deserve it, well, then I may withhold. Anybody else do that, fall into that trap? We, we don't love very well. When we take a serious inventory, what we find is that we oftentimes mistreat folks. We oftentimes judge them, judge their motives. We with, oftentimes we withdraw from them. We withhold love or attention or concern. And this is a lot of what causes the divorce in our, in our country today. Just this withdrawal from, from, from the other person because we don't, you know, we don't think they deserve it or need it or whatever. Or we're mad at them so we take away the, you know, something. And the, and the marriage grows cold. We, and in the, and, and the worst case scenario is we attack we use abuse or, or abusive language or maybe even there's physical violence. In this country, domestic violence is a huge issue. Men hitting women, women hitting men. It's a huge problem. So there's attack going on. And so what we discover is that human beings, we really don't love very well. In fact, in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, I think we have a couple of these verses here. Listen to what Paul tells us here in Ephesians chapter 3. I think we have that. If we don't have that, oh, here it is right here. But now you must put them all away. Watch this. And tell me if all of these don't kind of look at, at, at the human relationship or things that cause the human relationship to be, to, to be strained. Put all these things away now that you've become a Christ follower. Paul says anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He continues and he says this. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with it. Say it with me. Practices. Paul's, Paul understands that the human condition is such that, you know, we have anger and wrath and we get mad and we, and we take it out on each other and we lie and we, we, we take what's not ours. And, and these things are practices that were embedded in the old sinful nature that now have to be eradicated and, and we, just don't, we just don't love very well. And, and, and in, in the, really what I'm saying is that we're, we're just not good people in general. We haven't, we haven't become that, that disciple yet who does what is best for others. So here's the question I want to tackle today. How do we become a good person? Like how, what does that process look? Jesus brings knowledge of what that looks like. And so that's what I want to spend our time talking about today. We become a good person in your notes there by means of grace. By means of grace. Grace is what Jesus brings for you and I to actually become the type of person that will do what is best for other people, whoever those other people are. Now, traditionally, grace has been defined as God's unmerited favor, and that's certainly what it is. We don't, God gives us favor, not because we're something, but just because he lavishes it upon us, and that is certainly true. But I think grace goes much further than the unmerited favor of God. Listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter said, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost like he's saying, well, I guess he is really saying, he's using the word in, in this context. Uh, it's as if you and I were saying, hey, I want you to grow in your ability to swing a bat and hit a curveball. I want you to grow in your ability to, to, to make a 12-foot 
putt. I want you to grow in your ability to, 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 to slide your feet on defense and, and, and playing basketball. I want you to grow in your ability to speak Spanish. You know, some of, some of our students are, are in class are trying to speak Spanish. We can grow in these, that's the kind of the way that, 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 Paul, that Peter's using this word grow. I want you to, to mature in grace. Well, that's different. That's different than simply saying that grace is God's unmerited favor, which it certainly is, but grace goes much further than that. See, I believe that grace is simply strength for life, and that we can grow in strength for life. Grace is God giving us what we need in our time of need. Grace is God helping us to do what we cannot do ourselves. Dallas Willard put it this way, grace is God acting in your life and in my life to do what you cannot do alone. That's what grace is. You ever find yourself in a situation where you simply don't have the strength to do what needs to be done? Anybody? This is a big one if you're raising children. You ever find yourself in a scenario where you just don't have the patience with your children? So you lose your mind? (laughs) <laughs> and you say something, you do something, and you look back and say, I can't believe I said that and did that. Because you didn't have the capacity in and of yourself to meet the demands of reality, which was patience. Or maybe you struggle with some sort of temptation, whether it's substance abuse or alcohol or drugs or some type of addiction. And in and of yourself, you don't have the strength to resist that temptation. Ever been there? Some of you are there right now. Grace is God acting in your life to help you overcome that temptation. Grace is God acting in your life to have patience with your child or that coworker or that boss <laughs> that you have that's demanding. That's grace. It's strength for life. I remember one day I was reading in the book of Colossians, just in my devotions, and, and I came across this passage, and Paul is talking about making disciples, presenting every person mature in Christ. You know, uh, that was his goal in his life. And verse 29 of Colossians 1, he says this, For this I toil, making disciples, struggling, working, laboring with all, interesting, ready? His energy, not his own energy. Paul is saying, I labor and I work with all of God's energy that he powerfully works within me. And a light bulb went off in my head and said, oh my gosh, the work is done, not in my own strength. The work is done in God's strength. This sermon, this staff, this church, these things that we're trying to do, these multi-sites, the, the, the ministries we support overseas, all of the work that needs to be done by our staff and all of the work that needs to be done in small group and all of the work, all the spiritual toil and labor that needs to be done and is done is to be done with whose energy? God's energy, his energy. That's grace. God acting in my life to do what I cannot do by my Self, you with me? See, this is, these are the unsearchable riches of the kingdom. What Jesus brings is he brings strength for life to us. This is the message of the kingdom, ready? My grace is sufficient for you. Isn't that what God said to a guy named Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. In your notes, grace is available. Strength is available for life right now. You're facing a situation you don't have the strength to face it, you don't, you don't have it within you to do it, guess what? Grace is available for you today. You know what the problem with most, most Christians is, though? We don't access this grace. We're not tapping into it. We're living in our own strength. We're living mostly defeated lives day to day, whether it's at work or with our kids or in whatever area of our life that we're struggling in. 
And so the question I want to ask today and answer is this, how do we access the grace of God? How do we tap into the, the, this power of God? How do we do that? Well, there's two things I want to leave you with today, and, and you can work these over in, in, with your groups this week and your small group and, and by yourself. I believe there's two things that must be done in order to access this grace. Number one, you have to first believe that it's possible and that it's better. Now, let me explain what that means. You must first believe that it's possible and that it's better. In other words, you must first come to God believing that he can give you the strength to actually become that type of person that overcomes that temptation. You have to believe it's possible to be the, become the type of person that, that doesn't use foul language anymore. Some of you drop F-bombs at work and all these other things, and you just say, I can't help it. I just have a foul mouth, right? Well, you have to believe that it's possible to become the type of person that doesn't use foul language. If you don't believe it's possible, is it going to happen? Are you even going to ask for help? Yes or no? Some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm addicted to pornography. It'll always be that way. I've tried. It's just that way. It's, it's just what I do. Well, if you don't even believe it's possible to live above that addiction, are you even going to ask for God's strength to do what you cannot do in your own strength? No. So you have to come to God believing that it's possible to be different and to live at a higher level, and, and what, what Jesus would call eternal, the eternal quality of life. You with me? Yes or no? In Matthew chapter 9, that wasn't very convincing, but we'll come back to you again to see if you're paying attention. In Matthew chapter 9, these two blind guys come to Jesus, and Jesus, they don't even say anything. Jesus, they, they, like Jesus knows what they want. But he says something very interesting to me. It's like, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth sometimes. It's like, why would he say that? Listen to what he says in Matthew 9 to these guys. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do what? Like, heal their, give them their sight back. Jesus is interested if they're coming to the table with faith to gain access into some divine power so that they can experience some divine healing. He's interested in their belief system. Is it possible? Do you think I can do this? Isn't that interesting? Listen to what the guys say. Yeah, sure you can. We believe it, Lord. Absolutely. And then Jesus responds, watch this, verse 29. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your, now come on, show me something here, according to your faith. Nice, a little better. According to your faith, be it done to you. According to, to what you believe in your heart, what you think is possible. These guys said, we believe it's possible. We've heard you've done this for other people. We believe that you can touch us and that we could actually see. See, I believe in my heart that there's nothing that Jesus said that I cannot do. I know that sounds arrogant. There's nothing that Jesus said in this book that Danny Anderson cannot do. I believe that. Now, I can't do it by myself. But there's nothing he said that I cannot do. I can forgive. I can live a pure life. I can become humble. <laughs> I can have patience. I know that sounds like a joke too. I can do it. I can't do it by myself. But I have to, I have to first come believing, don't you? Don't you have to come believing first? And then secondly, you have to think, you have to believe it's better. What do I mean by better? Well, there's some of you that are not yet convinced that the path of Jesus is the best show on earth. You're not, you're not convinced. You don't believe it yet. You don't buy it. 
You don't buy it that telling the truth, the truth, every single time is the best path to go. You're still in control, manipulating, shading the truth. You know who you are, <laughs> right? There's still some of you out there that you believe that, 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 you know, with a little bit of sexual immorality is okay because everybody else in the world is doing it. We can't take Jesus' words about sex too seriously. I mean, I know he talked about purity and all this stuff, but I was talking with a gentleman not too long ago, and he was uh, shacking up with his girlfriend, and I confronted him on it because he's like in church and he's wanting to do, do the right thing, and I said, you know, Jesus actually taught that, that that's, that's a sexual sin, that that's fornication, like, like sex is for you and your wife, and you know, I said to him, if you want to go all in on this thing, you guys have to quit. You have to, you have to like bounce out of that house or get married or something. And then, you know, and then it all, then it started. Well, you know, it's just, I don't know about that. You know, it just financially it works better for us. You know, we, you know, taxes, all that stuff. I don't know if I can do that. So, oh, so, so what you're saying is you don't actually believe it's better to do your sexuality Jesus's way. Like you want to do it your way. Well, well, I guess, yeah, you put it that way. So, well, I did put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> See, as a Christ follower, you're not free to do your sex thing the way you want to do it. No, you have to do it his way. But you have to first believe that his way is better. And if you don't think his way is better, then, then you're never going to receive that divine grace and help. I'll never forget, I'll tell you this, my wife is here today, and we didn't get this perfect. But I tell you what, first thing, when I was about 17, 18 years old, somebody told me about sexuality and I'd, how I need to give it to God and, and have, wait for my wedding night have sex, which I thought was absurd, but uh, hey, so if the Bible says that, Jesus said that, let's go, let's roll with it. So my wife and I, we dated, and, and uh, you know, we, we waited until our wedding night to have sex. I know that's embarrassing, honey, but it's maybe not, maybe not. Now, we weren't perfect or anything like that by any means, but I just said, I gotta, we gotta do this his way. We can't just, we can't just do what we've always done and however we want to do it, and God has God honored and blessed us for that. It's possible. But you have to believe it's possible, and then you have to believe it's better, or else you're not. And listen, by the way, God had to help me, gentlemen, to wait for our wedding night, because I was 21 years old. You know when you're 21 years old what that's like, and you're a male? Like the wind blows, and you're aroused. Remember that? <laughs> Come on, let's, let's talk about life. Let's talk about life, right? You talk about grace? Wow. It was a miracle. You have to believe it's possible, and you have to believe it's better. And then number two, once you believe it's possible, once you believe it's better, now you're set up to do the second thing, which is awesome. It's awesome. Training. Now you're ready to train. Now you're ready to put the work in. God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to trying to earn his favor. You cannot earn his favor, but he's not opposed to effort. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. He said, look, look, here's the deal. A disciple is not going to be above his teacher. You're never going to be better than Jesus. But everyone, when he is, say it with me, fully trained will be like his teacher. Like his teacher. You're going to become just like Christ. But you can't show up to the race without training. I was at a middle school track meet this, yesterday. And these little cats are fast. Have you seen them? I mean, there's this one little dude. He did 1.9 miles in like 1140. Do the math. It's like sub-six-minute miles. You talk about fast. This kid's in the seventh grade, eighth grade. I'm watching his little legs fly. There was a girl that did that broke 12 minutes. Unbelievable. Seventh grade girl. Eighth grade girl. Did, do you think they showed up yesterday? It's like, hey, I'm interested in running. 
I'm running. Can I run? <laughs> Can I get in line? Do you think they showed up like that? No. They, these, they have been training. How do I know? Because I got two kids on the, on the cross-country team, and they've been training, 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 training. And then they show up on race day, and they perform, and they pull these times up. You know, it's amazing, right? See, some of you, some of you are, are, are Christ followers. You're expecting to show up and run well, but you don't want to train, so I tell my kids, and we just had this conversation the other day, uh, my, my two kids who are running cross country, I say, hey, but, you know, guys, you got to train in the off season. You know, you can't, you, if, you, if you just play video games, you know, kick back, I say, you know, you're not going to be able to show up and, and, and run well. You know, you can't just kick back and perform well. There's a training effect. Listen to what Dallas Willard said on this whole issue, talking about living the eternal quality of life that Jesus promised in the Gospels. He said, the secret, okay, this is the secret, okay? This is not widely known, okay? So you're hearing some inside stuff here from me, from your pastor. I'm helping you, right? The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life. Adopting his overall lifestyle. Whoa, that's radical. So I didn't sign up for that. I mean, I'd like, I'd like to go to heaven when I die, but I'm not all about living the way Jesus lived. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. You don't have to, but you will never experience grace the way it was intended to be experienced. If you want to capture strength for life, you have to adopt the rhythms and patterns that Jesus himself lived with. What am I talking about? Well, if you read the New Testament, which I hope you do, I hope you do, what you're going to discover is that Jesus would oftentimes just find himself all by himself, alone in prayer. And other times he'd be on a fast. One time he did a 40-day fast. 40 days, no food. That wasn't the only time he fasted. He would spend time in, in, in small group with his, with his crew, with his disciples. He was, he was living in these patterns that, that fostered or, or created opportunities for grace to enter his life. Now, he was God in a body, but he, he gave up his divinity in a sense. He never gave it up fully, but he forfeited his rights to live as God on this planet, and he modeled what it looked like to be a human being. He was 100% man, so that we could follow his example and learn how to draw grace. What am I talking about? I'm talking about disrupting the automatic, what Dallas World would call the automatic patterns of response. The automatic patterns of response. These are the things that have developed in you and I over years living apart from God. This, these, are the, these are the responses that, that trigger when someone cuts us off on the road, when we don't get our way, when someone criticizes us, when we get a lot of things put on us at one time and we get overwhelmed. Our automatic patterns of response are the things that just come out of us when certain situations take place. Now, if those things that come out of us are ungodly, which who's willing to be honest enough to say, yes, they're ungodly for me. <laughs> Oh boy, it's so much fun to be in church and poke everybody. But hey, I'm poking myself first. My automatic patterns of response are ungodly sometimes. What does that mean? That means I got some work to do. See, just because I'm saved and I'm going to heaven when I might die and my sins are forgiven doesn't mean that Jesus' grace has touched my soul and changed who I am on the inside. This explains why Christians do bad things. You ever wonder why they do that? Pastors steal money or run off with the secretary or have affairs or do whatever. Really godly people do really bad things. How, how does that work? Well, here's how it works. Their automatic patterns of response have not been touched by the grace of God. They haven't changed on the inside. You with me? You know anybody like this? And that's how we get this reputation for being hypocrites and all this stuff, right? Because we never invite God in to change 
the insides, the soul part of who we are. And so there needs to be some disruptions. Listen to what Dallas Willard said. I love this. He said, the training program that we engage in must involve purposeful disruption of our automatic thoughts, feelings, actions by doing different things with our body. The training program that I engage in must change my, auto, my automatic responses and my automatic patterns to life. How do I deal with temptation? There's an automatic response. Well, that has to be changed. How do I deal with, how do I, what's my response when someone criticizes me? Well, I need, I need to do something different with my body that's going to change my thoughts, my feelings, and actions in that moment. And if I don't address my automatic patterns of response, I will continue to always respond and act the way I always have, and I will never change. Will I go to heaven when I die? Sure I will. Will you? Sure you will. If you have faith in Christ, but you'll never change as a person. You'll never be able to draw upon grace to do what you cannot do by yourself. So we need some disciplines, some practices that are going to change our automatic patterns of response. Let's talk about a few of those and we'll wrap up. Number one, silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. What we're doing here is creating space for God to do his work. We're, we're, creating, we're creating this window, this, this space in our, in our life. We're disrupting our patterns of living so that God's grace can flow into our life. And that's, that's what silence and solitude does. It pushes out it pushes out Facebook and Twitter and texting and all the things that distract us, gets us out of our mind, out of our heart, so that we can focus on that one voice, so we can open the Word of God and hear the Spirit uh, uh, talk to us and reorder our mind and our heart and our feelings and our emotions and then our actions. Silence and solitude, huge part. I was with a pastor this last weekend, multi-site church. His name is Chris Hodges. 14 sites, 40,000 people on the weekend. And I was able to get backstage with him and ask him a question. I said, hey, how do you take care of your soul? Huh? Young pastor here, just trying to understand. Like, you're a big dog, big dog pastor, early 50s. Like, you're where I want to be one day. Like, how do you take care of your soul? That's what I wanted to know. You know what he said? I take my Sabbath every Friday. I don't do any work. And I get alone with God. And I let him speak into my soul. Silence and solitude. Number two, meditation. What is meditation? It's not some Mideastern thing where you empty your mind, you empty your head and like, like, hum or something like that. Fold your legs and hum. It's not that at all. It's not that at all. You know what meditation is? It's taking a truth, a principle, an idea, and focusing your mind and heart on that for an extended period of time. And we focus in our mind and heart on those areas that we're struggling in. So if, I, if anger seems to be one of my automatic patterns of response through life, I'm going to get some ideas or truth that's going to change the way I think about anger so that I begin to think that anger is silly and unnecessary. And that my life would be much better without anger. Now I start to meditate on that. And I start to look at how the Bible says that anger rests in the bosom of a fool. Oh, I don't want to be a fool. Focus your mind in on that. You look at anger from a different perspective. Or lust, or greed, or an addiction, or whatever it is you're, you're, you're getting hung up on, right? And you look at it, and you create a different angle and a different perspective. That's what meditation does. And it, it disrupts your automatic patterns of responses. That's what it is. It's a disruption. That's what we're doing. And then there's prayer. 
Now, when I say prayer, I'm not talking about what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 6 when he said, go into your closet, close the door, and pray, and your Father will see you. I am talking about that in one sense. Yes, we should do that. We should have times of prayer. What I'm more talking about is having a conversation with God going on all day long. Turning your self-talk. Have you ever noticed that you talk to yourself internally? Have you ever noticed that all day long? You just talk to yourself? What what I'm really talking about is turning your self-talk into God talk, inviting him into everything that's going on in your life that parking spot that someone else got in front of you, the demands that the boss has put on you. You know, you didn't get your way at home. He's talking, talking to him, inviting him into that conversation. So now you're talking to Jesus as you're going through your day, and what ends up happening is now now you're concerned about what he's thinking because you've invited him in, and and when you're concerned about what Jesus thinks and how he's going to feel, oh boy, that changes everything. You talk about a disruption. I remember, I remember years ago when I was in high school, I would try to get my girlfriend to go upstairs so that we could be alone. I know that sounds bad. That's what I did. I was a bad kid. Because if we were alone, then I could try stuff and my mom wouldn't see because my mom was like Puerto Rican Nazi kind of just, Wah! Nazi's not the right word. She was just, she's just, she was just maniac, you know? So I had to get away from mom, because if mom was in the room, there's certain things you just can't do. You see what happens there? When Jesus is in the room, there's just certain things you just won't do, because Jesus is in the room, like the son of God, the king of kings, right? It's like, oh, you know, so instead of flipping somebody off when they cut you off on the road, you know, said, Jesus, can you believe that guy? I just can't believe that guy. (laughs) He just cut me off. And Jesus, here's what you'll hear Jesus say. He's having a bad day. Let it go. He's having a bad day. He probably has a bad marriage. Let it go. See that? See how that changes? You're disrupting things through through talking to Jesus through that whole situation. And this last one is fasting. I don't know about a better disruption than fasting with not eating for an extended period of time. It totally reorients your life to to the unseen kingdom. Instead of drawing your sustenance from this world, you start drawing your sustenance in your life from another realm, and that is the kingdom of God. And it reorients your entire mind and heart towards God and the things of God. Fasting, Jesus fasted, Paul fasted, Esther fasted, Moses fasted. You know, it's just, you find it in the Bible. It reorients us back to God, and it draws, it causes us to look to God for strength for life. What, what, what have I ex- tried to explain to you today? Here's the deal. You're not alone. There's grace available to you. Grace is strength for life, but the only way to tap into that grace, those, those, those riches from the kingdom, is for you to come to God believing that it's possible, that it's better, and then engaging in a training program. I want you to hear a story of a guy right now that our church uh, was able to um, uh, meet his needs and 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 have him come into the kingdom of God. It's a great story. His name is Lewis. Check it out. I was not necessarily brought up in the most Christian environment. Um, I started out attending a private school up until I was in third grade. After that, um, having a single mother, my home life was pretty unstable. Um, bounced around from school to school up until I was about in fifth grade or so, stayed there until um, I graduated high school. 
Um, it wasn't until high school I started doing the whole experimenting thing. Um, I was more of a stray bullet. Never had any direction on what was um, what was right and what was wrong, as opposed to you know what was against the law. Uh, as long as I wasn't getting arrested, I was still going in a I was still going in a good um, direction. And it was like that until I met Nicole in the summer of 2010, where my life completely changed. We ended up talking for a couple weeks. Um, weeks turned into a month or two. Um, she ended up moving to Indianapolis from where she was living before. Moved here, she had no, you know, nobody here she knew. And that's kind of what led to uh, her working at Starbucks and what kind of, what put things into motion of her uh, meeting the people that attended Emmanuel. After being recommended countless times, she ended up wanting to go. At the time, I was not much of a church-going person, never have been. Um, I admit that I was probably the complete opposite of what a Christian was, as far um, to being an atheist as you could possibly be. Um, didn't believe in any of it. And uh, honestly, my I cared more about her than my unbelief in God. And I w started going to Emmanuel to support her, uh, to kind of give her that encouragement, to be um, a good boyfriend at that time. I mean, to me, that was, that was a good formula to get brownie points. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what the sermon was that actually hit me. I just know that in, in my life at that point, I felt like there was a lot on my shoulders. And something at that service, something in me wanted me to believe that there was more. And that's when I kind of opened up my heart to their, the possibility of there being a God. Um, I wanted to feel like I was not alone. To keep my faith strong, I've uh, recently started a small group um, here in, within the last couple weeks. Great people, awesome people. Um, on top of that, I've been trying to uh, get myself through the New Testament. I'm finally going to try my hardest to uh, get through that. I had I bought one of the uh, uh, one-year New Testament that they provide here at Emmanuel. I bought one in the bookstore. Um, so I'm working my way through that, trying to spend time in the scripture, um, praying daily, and honestly, I'm still trying to find ways that I can strengthen my uh, belief. Just I want to keep building on to it I'm keep, I, and still learn. I'm still learning. I feel like um, this whole process is just a, a whole learning process for me. I want to get baptized because I I want to finally get rid of, not I guess not get rid of, I want to finally wash away the troubles of my past. They'll still be there, but I want to start new. I want to push that restart button, and I want to start being the Christian I was supposed to be from the beginning. I want to be able to go and um, I want to be able to come across problems in life 
the times of worry, I want to be able to approach those with a more positive attitude, a more Christ-centered attitude. Um, and I want to fully commit myself to the, uh, Jesus and his teachings. If you could grab a seat just for one minute, I want to read you something that I uh, came across a couple years ago, and it's out of a book called The Dream Giver uh, by Bruce Wilkerson, and uh, it impacted me in a big way. I want to read it to you really quick. In the end of the book, he says, uh, the dreamers I know who are changing the world know a secret. God is eager to show himself strong towards dreamers who take risks to do what he wants done. That was based out of a verse in 2 Chronicles. And God is willing to show himself strong to those who are willing to take risks to do what he wants done. And then in the last paragraph of the book, he says this. So when you hear him say, come further, pick up your knapsack. Your horizon is full of promise. Another big dream is out there waiting for you. And if you don't pursue it, something important won't happen. And it just gripped my heart. If I don't pursue it, something important won't happen. You know, as a church, we, we reach a lot of people on every weekend, and um, we could just kind of settle in and say, you know, that's good. We're doing good work. But God has put a dream in my heart to reach thousands and thousands of people. And I'm choosing to pursue it with you. And if we don't pursue it, here's what won't happen in my, here's what I believe it won't happen. People like Lewis and the folks who are baptized today will not be reached. They won't find Christ. They won't find the treasures and the riches of the kingdom. So when you ask the question, why would we try to build a permanent site in Franklin and then maybe a permanent site downtown Indy? Anybody interested in that? Anybody drive from downtown Indy today? If, you, if your hand goes up, I'm calling you this afternoon. It's like, hey, your hand went up. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have a campus downtown Indy? Okay, because we're going to go there, I think, I hope, I pray. Um, but why would we do that? Why would we do that? It's so that more people like Lewis could have eternal life and find life in Christ. And so we're trying to build this permanent site. And what we're trying to do is over the next 12 months raise one, uh, not one million, two million dollars. And uh, I've been talking about this commitment card. And if you would grab your commitment card right now and just kind of look at it. And if you didn't come prepared today, there's actually one in your handout you can grab. Um, and on this handout, it basically says from October 1st, 2016 to October 1st, 2017, I'm going to commit uh, to give uh, a gift above and beyond what I already give to the church. Uh, this isn't just switching your tithe to the, to the building program. This is something in addition to. And on the back, there's a little scale that you can, you can check a box and say, hey, we're, gonna, uh, we're in for 500, 1,000, or whatever. Uh, and then uh, just in a moment here, we're going to have you drop those in the box. And I've also asked you to come prepared to bring your best gift towards that commitment. These are separate. You do not have to put this inside of this. So if you came prepared to do that, you can put your best gift towards your commitment in the box today. The reason we asked you to do that, if you remember, is so that we can get the project going with cash. It always, always need a surge of cash up front on projects like this. Just to let you know a little bit about the project, here's a couple of photos. These are preliminary drawings. This is what the campus will actually look like uh, with probably some minor revisions. You can see the auditorium here. It'll seat about 700 people. There's our lobby area here 
and then there's the, 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 the student section, um, and then the offices up front here. And so I want to show you another picture here because we have the piece of property. I think you know that. This is sort of how it's going to be laid out. You can see that this is the building in the center of the property. If you know Franklin at all, Hillview Golf Course is kind of over here. Anybody know Franklin at all? Okay, good. So the golf course is over there, so you can actually see the first green. No, you can't. You can't actually see it, but that would be cool if you could. But uh, then there's a you know, parking lot, parking lot, swimming pool, swimming pool. Um, and, and so that's, that's going to be fun for the kids. Those are retention ponds. Just, I was joking. And then this is actually what the preliminary face of it will look like, very similar to Banta, except it's got more of the peaks because that kind of fits with uh, the architecture in Franklin there. And again, these are not, you know, finished drawings or anything like that. It's just the, what we've got started with our builder. And so is that exciting to anybody or what? So really what I'm asking you to do is to do for others what somebody has already done for you. Somebody has already given and sacrificed financially for this facility. It's all paid off. You're sitting here because of someone else's blessing. I would love for someone else to be sitting in the Franklin campus because you decided to bless them and pass that blessing on. And so during this song, there's boxes all across the auditorium, these black boxes. You don't have to come down front. They're on the sides down here. Uh, I think there's a couple in the balcony. Are there any in the balcony? There are some in the balcony, so you don't have to come down. You have to find them, though. Don't know where they are. Um, and so during this song, place your commitment card in the box, and then I'll come back up and close this up. Would you remain standing with me as we wrap up? And the Bible says very clearly that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's very simple. And what Paul meant when he wrote that, a guy named Paul, he basically said, if you reach out in faith to God and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to wash away all your sins so that you can have forgiveness, so you can receive grace, so that you can be reconciled in a relationship with God. Just reach out in faith. That's basically what he says. And you can have what Lewis talked about and what all these other folks who were baptized today have experienced. You can receive eternal life. And it doesn't start when you die. It starts right now. And maybe you're here today and you walked in and you were a person who's maybe an agnostic or or just didn't have faith for whatever reason in Jesus. And, but you feel a tug on your heart right now to call upon the name of the Lord, to put your faith in Christ. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You might not have all the answers to your questions. I understand. I don't have all the answers to my questions. I've got questions too. But that doesn't mean you cannot put your faith in Christ and believe that he died on the cross for you, for your sins, and three days later he rose again so you can have eternal life. You can take that step without all of the answers to your questions. If you feel led to do that right now, just say this simple prayer. Reach out to God. Bow your head. Take my words and use them as your own. You become a child of God. You'll be saved today. Dear Jesus, I trust you today. I put my confidence and faith in you today. I believe you died on the cross for me 2,000 years ago. And you rose again, conquering the penalty of sin that was held against me. You did it to wash away the guilt, the shame in my life. And now put my faith in you. I believe you are the Lord. I believe you are the master. Enter my life today and, and change me. And help me to become the disciple that you've plan for me to become by believing it's possible and better and engaging in a training program so that I can demonstrate 
Christ-like character in my life to others. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Christ, a very important part of your training is going to be reading the New Testament. You heard Lewis talk about it in the video, just reading the New Testament. What we want to do, if you put your faith in Christ today, he went and bought his. He didn't have to. Lewis, if you're here, I don't know why you bought yours. Uh, it was free. Uh, but if you put your faith in Christ today, there's free Bibles right now back here to my left. If you're in the balcony, just come on down to my right. There's tables back there. If you put your faith in Christ today, they'll put one of these in your hands for free. But just don't take it just because it's free. Take it and then begin the training process. Go to today's date. We're in the book of Philippians. And go to today's date and start reading. The book of Philippians is incredible. And next comes Colossians. It's going to be awesome. And start reading. Can we give God glory today for what he's done? God has, given, God has given this church a, a big vision. I don't know how, how far it's going to go, uh, but I've seen churches out there reaching literally tens of thousands of people with a simple message of, of, of the gospel, and that's what we do here. And so we're ask, I'm asking the Lord to move on your hearts to be generous so that we can continue to be a blessing to our world. This, there's so much evil in our world today, isn't it? Isn't it like I would just love to bring some goodness to the world. Isn't that what people need? Just goodness, kindness, and love, and, and that just flowing through our lives. That's what this is all about. Uh, and that's what Jesus meant when he said, I want you to be salt, and I want you to be light in this world. That's what is so needed, and that's, what, that's kind of what we want to do as a church. So if you're in, say amen. 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 Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the calling on, on our church to be light, to be salt. Help us to faithfully proclaim the gospel that there is a better life available right now should people choose to reach out for it. And that is life in your kingdom, life with you, where there is hope and there is peace and there is love and there is joy and there is grace and there is forgiveness and there's your presence. And there's, there's grace to defeat temptation and overcome worry and overcome lust and overcome all that plagues us in our life. It's available. Help us to live in it and spread it all for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for jumping in financially. Thanks for bringing your friends. If you pray to receive Christ, go grab a Bible. We'll see you next week.